Uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. We are still in 13. We are pressing forward and we will close up Mark 13 this morning looking at verses 32 through 37. Allow me to read that before, yeah, let me just follow as I read as we get started this morning. All right. Mark 13, verse 32. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, this is Jesus talking, and he says, be alert. Be alert. So he arrived, and we've sang about it, we've talked about it. Jesus arrived in humility, humility, we read the Philippians 2 passage even this morning, he arrived in humility, uh, and as we talked about last week in talking about the second coming, he'll return in royalty. Wow. Anxiety, worry, fretting, not knowing, waiting in fear versus waiting for the second coming in anticipation. And even as I was thinking of it, and those who were there at the men's prayer meeting probably understand what I'm referencing. We read a psalm on prudence and talked about being simple versus prudent. Even as we reflect on how we live our lives, thinking about that. Not caring versus in caring, of course. Being apathetic, having an apathetic, lazy attitude, poor steward of our time. Uh, foolishly thinking that we have more time. I'm just like trying to, you know, as I was looking at this passage, I just started thinking of these things and writing these things down. Like what in my life gets in the way of what we see so clearly as the theme or the thesis here in this little passage? And I just start meditating on these things, and these are some of the things, the worry, the fretting, the waiting in fear versus waiting in anticipation. The being simple-minded uh, in a way that's not actually helpful. It's, it's, it's not being prudent or being apathetic. Or I just went through them, going through them again. You get it? And you have your things, and I think these are things that, that we struggle with. If you're looking at chapter 13, if we did like one of those reading comprehensions tests, or okay, where, where you, you look through and you read it and then you find the theme or the thesis uh, of the author, what the, like what's, what's Mark saying? I think we'd look, verse 5, what's he say there? Look at verse 5. Uh, watch out. I'm, so, I'm sorry, it's not verse 5. Uh, yeah, well, one with reading comprehension tests, you really would do better than that, right? Yeah, so, uh, but he says there, watch out. I'm sorry, if we looked at the whole 13, so, right? If we were to read the whole chapter of 13, not just the passage where we're at right now, but go back to the whole chapter, yes, it would be verse 5. Watch out, he says, doesn't he? Looking there, you can find it. 
He's told them, watch out. Verse 9. So we're looking for the theme. All right. Verse 9. What does it say? Uh, be on guard. Verse 23. What's the theme? What's, the, what's being put out there for us in Mark 13? Verse 23. Uh, must watch. That's what my translation says. Verse 33. Again, watch. Be alert. We just read that. And then 37. Again, be alert. So what is this theme? What is the thesis? What's the emphasis? Be, watch. Be alert, right? Yes, okay. We're there. We're on the same page then. Urgency. Being ready is the theme. And it's not just here, right? Like this is something that we see repeated in the New Testament. This waiting and watching and not being caught with our hands in our pockets, Okay, and that's kind of, that's the title, and I know I've been titling all of them, all of that discourse, and I haven't been providing good notes for you on the back, but if you're taking notes, you can do so, there's some space there on the back, but the, the title this morning, well, I'm coming at this, is Gospel Places Hands on the Plow, Not in the Pockets, okay, and, and uh, I think what it's saying here is, hey, waiting and watching, be alert, is don't get caught with your hands in your pockets, and I think that's a difficulty. Just think of it practically speaking. So I, my son works with me sometimes in, in little projects that we do. And he's like me when I was younger and learning, right? And so you're on a project and you're just not sure. You know, I'm thinking construction project of some sort. And you're not really sure what to do. You've done the thing that you were asked to do. You know, go pull these nails. And they go and pull them those nails and that's done. And then... They start, you know, watching you work, and their hands are in their pocket, and watching, and you're asking, well, okay, uh, hey, I, you know, what are you doing? You're, you're supposed to be helping. Well, I did the thing that you told me to do. I'm done with it. Well, well can't you see, there's a hundred other things that need done. Do I've got to hold your hand and tell you each thing that needs done, right? I know when I was young, so... You know, I know my sons are here and daughters, and they're like, yeah, Dad, relax, you know. But, but like, I know when I was younger, right, I couldn't even hold the flashlight right. Now, anybody, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And so you just don't know, you know. It's like, can't you see the thing I'm working on? Why is the flashlight over here? You're, why are you looking over there? It's right here. Uh, be alert. Pay attention. What's wrong with you, you know? And it's so easy to lose your stuff as a dad, and what I would say, lose your Christian mind, and, uh, and, and be growing patient, and it's like, all right, we've got to, well, why is this? Well, why did I struggle with this? Why does my son struggle with this, you know? And I think part of it is, you know, like, I, I, I mean, I even find myself there. If I'm on a construction project of some sort, and something's being done that I'm not familiar with, I don't really know how to help. Right? Sometimes you just don't know uh, the job very well, and so you're still learning. You're trying to figure out, well, what, what should I do? <laughs> uh, and it, it does. It takes some maturing. It say, takes some growing in order to, to get your hands out of your pocket, to know the next thing that needs done, to not just be caught looking around, to not just be caught doing anything. Uh, and so I've been on both ends of this. Uh, 
right? The more familiar I become, we become with a workspace, right? The more familiar we become with, with the needs uh, for the task at hand, uh, the responsibility, right, the goal, the, the more we understand the goals and the responsibility in front of us, the more we understand how to use the tools that are there at the construction project or whatever it is, the more we're able to keep things rolling. You, you following? And, and to go to the next thing. Oh, I'll grab this and just get right in and jump, jump right in there. Verse 32, it tells us, now concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Now people are talking all the time, and they are saying, I've even heard most recently, Jesus is coming back in 2024. All right? That is the latest I heard. And this is from people who love the Lord, who study the Bible, and they start talking like this, and they start setting dates. But Jesus here, it says, is clear, no one knows, that only the Father knows. Like Jesus doesn't even know. So why on earth would we even entertain the conversation? Right? I would say if Jesus says, not let this just be a standard for moving forward, right? Like if we could just agree that if Jesus says he doesn't know something, right? Let's let's just agree we don't know it. <laughs> we agree that seems simple. It's a good indicator that this is something we shouldn't pretend to know. Right? So let's, let's move from there. Now, this also presents, I think, for some, a little bit of difficulty. What do you mean Jesus doesn't know? He is God. Whoa, 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 whoa. So is he fully God? Is he limited in some? What's going on here? And we would confess, of course, God, he is. He's triune. Right? Our God is triune. Jesus is God. Jesus is man, both God and man. And we read this morning really the explanation to this question that I think this text theologically presents to us, and that is that he is both God and man. And in his humanity, we learn from places like Philippians 2 that he voluntarily does not consider his equality with God. Right? And so Jesus, in this passage, in this statement, saying, right there, you can underline it, that he doesn't even know, he is not denying his deity. And we need to be very clear about that. No, he, he has imposed, as we see in the Philippians 2 passage, he has imposed limits, limitations and restraints on himself. He voluntarily chooses not to exercise, and praise God, that he voluntarily chooses not to exercise all the privileges of his divine power while on this earth. Right? He could have. Right? They were his privileges after all. And by right of who he was, they were his to exercise. But he laid them aside. And he did not exploit them. Right? Uh, he did not exercise them. Instead, it says he emptied himself. He became a servant, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that every knee would bow to the name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's with that in front of him that Jesus, in his humanity, he sets the rights of his divinity aside and says 
here in our passage, not even the Son of God knows when he will return. So here's the point, and I think it's important. You don't know. Right? Right? You don't know. And your friend doesn't know. And your friend's friend, who's a prophet, doesn't know. A prerogative that Jesus lays down, we should not pick up. What a powerful statement. Jesus subscribing to himself ignorance. Think of that. There's something else to learn here for sure. So subscribing to himself ignorance. Yet doesn't that fit with the theme of Mark? The gospel of Mark. Jesus is suffering servant. Coming in low, this humble confidence, trusting the plan of God, submissive to the Father's will. Are we there? Oh, God help us in Christ. See the peace of Christ and move forward with his confidence and trust in the Father's plan. We contrast that with the disciples, right, or ourselves, Right, meaning Jesus' submission and his laying it down. We contrast that with ourselves, right? How many times you said, look, I just need to know the plan, right? <laughs> right, some of us are more plan-oriented, right? I, I need, if, if he just told me how this was all going to work out, right, how can I be sure everything will be okay? We are after assurance, aren't we? We're after a security blanket, if you will. Helps us, something to help us feel more certain about the road ahead. For Jesus, knowing the Father's will will be accomplished, that was enough assurance that he needed. He moved on. What an example he was to the disciples, to us. You see, a security that isn't Jesus... Think of it for ourselves now. A security that isn't Jesus. An assurance that isn't Jesus. A security and assurance that isn't the Father's will. Right? That is not something we want to spend time chasing after. Right? The disciples wanted a sign, right? That's what we start with in the beginning of this passage in Mark 13, the beginning of the chapter. The disciples wanted a sign. And I suspect that in this moment, right here at the end of 13, after this teaching, I suspect that they walked away feeling a little bit like they didn't get quite what they were originally after. Only the Father knows. That's what he said to them. Really? I just wonder where that landed them. And certainly in this moment in their spiritual development. But what a truth that ought to comfort us. This morning. Here we are in Christ. And we ought to just be able to sit right there in Christ. Taking on, as we said earlier, the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Our Heavenly Father knows. Oh. Right? This, of course, is the call to faith. Just to say, okay, He knows. Right? It's a call to confidence. To trust. Right? Stability. Not getting knocked around by the winds and in the waves of culture and crises and trials. 
just this humble confidence the Father knows. So it encourages us, but it also cautions us, this here, this passage, against trying to figure out the day or the hour of his coming. I think it's a serious thing because it can be distracting to the overall thrust of the passage, actually, to the point that Jesus is getting after to watch, be alert, that we could move into places of, well, if he's in trying to date set and figure out the time, you move into places like, well, if he's coming in, in 2024, then I have a couple more years, or at least a year, I guess, right? And it's like when my wife goes out of town, Right? Right when she goes out of town for a few days, I don't do anything. I don't do. I mean, the house goes downhill. She doesn't maybe even know this, right? Because, but man, I don't do anything in terms of, uh, in terms of like upkeep around the house, especially if the kids are gone and stuff, you know, because they're not there for me to tell them to do it. And so it just gets really trashed, you know. I'm just, you know, batching it. Don't come over. Don't come visit me. I'll come to you. We'll go out to eat or something. All right? But I don't do anything until I can see. I follow my wife on our phone, right? So I can know when she is like two to three hours away. It's time to get to work. Who can help? I might be calling you. Hey, man, I got to get this place put together again. Who can join me? Or after all, we're supposed to serve one another. And, and so I try to get you to come help me. I, anyway, but, but this is the idea here. You know, it's, as I'm thinking about this passage and the preparation to, to watch and be alert, right? If we know when they're coming home, I, I don't know. I would be tempted to procrastinate. Uh, and even as we think of Christ, maybe that's part of why we don't know. Uh, we don't get distracted. You know, we don't become poor stewards. I think, you know, in this second parable here in the passage that Jesus shares with us, beginning there in verse 34, I think it points out some of these things. All right? There are two events that we've talked about that it seems like it certainly would be nice to know the exact time on, but we don't know, and we're instructed in the Scripture to keep watching and living in anticipation and preparation for. Those two events would be the rapture and those living after the great tribulation, right? The second event would be the second coming of Christ. The time for these events is unknown for both of these events. Again, the first event, the rapture, as believers now, we are watching out for Jesus eagerly to be waiting for him to come from heaven with vigilance, with expectation. We are waiting, as the scripture says, to be caught up with Jesus in the air before the tribulation. It talks about this being caught up, right, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, we who are still alive will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. It tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first and then there will be a tribulation before he returns to the earth to reign for a thousand years. That event is unknown, but we are called to be alert, expecting, not knowing when, but waiting with anticipation as it says also in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. And Paul writing there to encourage the church of 
Thessalonians, he's celebrating as he's writing there, celebrating how they have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and how now that in that service, they are, they're in that service, they're, they're working as you are for the glory of God and for his church right there, and Paul's writing to him, and he, he's, so as they're serving the Lord in that, he, he describes them as also, while serving, he describes them as waiting, verse 10, waiting for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who will rescue them from the coming wrath. He's talking about the church, yes, waiting, but they're waiting with an anticipation, they're waiting with a vigilance, okay, with a sense of urgency and hope. And it's driving even their service there in the church, there in Thessalonians, that Paul is writing to back then. The same ought to be true for us. So our being caught up to meet Jesus in the air, that is the rapture. And the rapture is imminent. We don't know. And I think we do know that it will occur before the tribulation, but we don't know the timing. Just like as it says here, we don't know the timing of the second coming. Okay? We don't know the timing of the second coming. With respect to the second coming, Jesus returning to rule and reign, we know it will be after the tribulation. It says that there in the text. We know in verse 30, 24. We know in verse 24, 25, 26. We know that when it happens, we won't be able to miss it. We talked about that last week. But again, now, here in verse 32, we're reminded we can't predict the time. It says the hour or even the day. No one knows. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows. So we're encouraged, I pray this morning, you leave here encouraged to trust Jesus, to trust the plan of God our Father. And to not waste our time being date setters or claiming things that not even Jesus knows. I think that is like a hands in your pocket ministry, right? Standing around talking, right? Hands in your pocket ministry. You know, another hands in your pocket ministry, I just go down that road for a minute. It's like another hands in your pocket ministry, I think we referenced some, is is worrying and fretting. You know, sometimes I think there's a sway to that ministry, you know. Yeah. Right? That's another hands-in-your-pocket ministry. You say, well, that's no ministry. What are you talking about? That's no ministry. Who's that ministry? If that's a ministry, who's that ministry for? Well, it's a ministry for the enemy. Right? Like there, you think of it. We could go through and probably should have spent more time, but there's a lot of hands-in-your-pocket ministry that's for the enemy. In fact, the way I'm packaging it and understanding it this morning, looking at this passage, is that any hands-in-your-pocket ministry isn't for the Lord. The gospel calls us to put our hands on the plow. Amen? And we, we've got... I mean, that exciting, right? I remember all the time. It's like part of the problem, you know, I remember working with my brother, and I always wanted to, to learn a little bit quicker, you know, and it was all like, 
he always got to run all the fun tools, right? And it's like, well, let me see that thing. I could destroy some things, you know, a demolition project or something. And, and uh, But here, you know, I just think of the... the the plow as the tool, and the Lord just saying, man, you get to, he's calling all of us to put our hands on it. I think that's exciting. Put our hands on the plow. We got a purpose. That's the point. Sometimes, you know, when you're on the job site helping out, you, you, you think the thing that you're doing, because maybe you're not running the nail gun, that there isn't much purpose of you being there. And the fact is, there is, and we've got a purpose, certainly, as Christ's representatives in his church. We, we aren't to be, we've got the word, we're not to be wondering what to do, standing around oblivious or wringing our hands because of the pressure. Just as Jesus tells us, look there, verse 33, watch, be alert. For we don't know when the time is coming. There's a lot in these words. And Jesus gives a parable of a man who went on a journey, beginning there in verse 34, that helps us understand the admonition, I think, a little bit better. The admonition to watch, to be alert. Let me read here. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or, or, or early in the morning, otherwise when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, Jesus says, be alert. So this man, so let's understand the parable, this man left his house to travel abroad, okay? It wasn't clear the time that he was going to return. It wasn't clear how long he was going to be gone. He gave instructions. He gave work so that they could effectively manage the business and the affairs of the house, right? I think that's understood here in the parable. And they were to be faithful and diligent with those things that he put in front of them. And uh, and be on the lookout for his return. They were to keep a constant watch, remain faithful in their job assignments, right? So that when he returned, the place is functioning, the home, the estate, if you will, that when that master of that estate returns, that place is functioning as if he was there the whole time. Wow. Wow. It's starting to get exciting, right? I think of our family when we were younger and we had to hire babysitters uh, to, to come to the house and we would leave for the evening and give instructions to the babysitter who would manage the house. That was the expectation. They would manage the house and the kids while we were gone, right? And uh, I was always so appreciative of those who managed our home well. In other words, you come home the kids are in bed, the kitchen's clean, the house has been managed just as if you were there, maybe even better, right? Like, man, we should have that babysitter over more often, right? There was a, and there was a reasonable expectation that that's how it would work. They were ready, though. They were diligent. They were alert, anticipating our return by faithfully stewarding their responsibility as babysitter there. 
the man on the journey here in the parable is Jesus. Okay? He left. He gave authority to his servants. Left his servants to manage his home. It's the home. I'm thinking, well, if that's Jesus, the, left the servants to manage the church. Like Jesus said in Luke 19, 12, he says a nobleman traveled, and he's referring to himself, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minus, and told them, engage in business until I come back. He gave them resources to engage in his business until he, to manage the estate until he comes back. And here Mark, this parable says, he gave us authority and he gave us work, right? The man on the journey. In the parable, you see that. He gave authority to his servants and gave each one his work. That's verse 34. You see those two things? Well, let's first look at he gave authority to his servants. Because again, what's the parable? What's the illustrative point here? Is that he's given authority to his church. To you. To you all. To us. Okay? Yes. And so... Well, we see, where, where, where do we see this in other places in the New Testament? Well, Matthew 18. If we were to turn there and begin reading in Matthew 18, verse 19, we see how Jesus has given servants authority. He says there, Jesus does, truly I tell you, listen to this, church. It says this, about you, about us. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven again. Truly I tell you, if two, hear this, if two of you on earth agree about a matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. This is, and we don't talk, we're not unpacking all the, the passage I'm going to put to you, but just to say what we see here is Jesus telling us and giving us authority. Right? He gives his servants authority. Titus 2.15. He says there, Titus 2.15, God tells us, proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you with all authority. In 1 Peter 4.11, he says there, and again, we're, we're looking at our passage there in the parable where it says that the man on the journey left. We're saying Jesus has gone away, but then he gave authority to his servants. That's where we're tracking, right? Okay, 1 Peter 4, 11, it says, if anyone speaks, let, listen to this. In terms of your authority, church, listen to this. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. Whoa. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Right, that's authority. That's authority right there to get your hands, church, out of the pocket and on to the plow. Right? We pro go back to Titus 2.15. We proclaim these things with authority. That is a hands-on, man. 
right? Proclaim these things. That is a hands-on expecting that, as it says in the passage, people, I'm, my hands are not here. I don't know. Uh, 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 proclaim it. Maybe it will. Uh, but no, I'm proclaiming the word of God, hands on the plow, as it says in Titus 2.15, expecting people, because I'm speaking and proclaiming the word of God, I'm expecting the people will be encouraged, because it's the word of God. It's not mine. Amen? And so hands on the plow, expecting, proclaiming, expecting that people, it says there also in Titus 2.15, will be rebuked with authority. But I think what we can expect, church, of one another in that is that when we're rebuked by, by one another, it will be received. Right? Because it comes with authority and we are compelled. Right? We are compelled in the spirit to say, yes, I will receive and these things, that is not passive hands-in-pocket ministry, right? He's coming back. Get your hands out and on the plow. And he has given authority to have our hands right on that instrument, right? I think the instrument of being the Word of God, right? That's your instrument, right? To plow. Are you plowing? You say, man, I'm not getting much progress. I'm not making much progress in my life personally. And the way I'm living, are you plowing with the word of God? Right? Are your hands on the instruments? Are you just, you know, I catch myself just kind of complaining. And, 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 man, why aren't things going the way? Why isn't it effective right now? Or why, why, why? And it's like, am I plowing with the word of God? And, folks, if we're not plowing with the word, we won't have much success, praise God, right? He has given us authority. We have authority to battle and win against our flesh, authority in the heavenlies over the powers of darkness. We have the word of God, the armor of God. On we could keep going with this issue of authority. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Folks, that's authority because of Christ. That's a hand. Think of that just for a minute. I didn't intend to spend this much time on this point, but... Think of that for a minute. We need to sit there and look at this one, right? We can approach the throne of God, the throne of grace, with confidence. I'm thinking of prayer. We can pray, call out to God in His glory, in His throne room, in His majesty, and be heard. Our voices heard by God. His ear bent our way. The one that controls the universe and holds all things together. We have access because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Folks, this is a hands out of your pocket ministry. Prayer, I'm talking. Isn't it? Prayer is a hands out of your pocket ministry. It's like business management 101. It's grabbing the bull by the horns. Okay? I know I just changed illustrations there from plow to now bull, but it just seemed fitting because uh, prayer can do that. It can fling a bull around, all right? Jesus tells us that earlier, ask anything. And I've been learning about this ministry, this prayer ministry. And, you know, it's something that I've read a lot of books about. But I don't think it's a ministry you learn by reading books, although I would encourage reading books. I think it's a ministry of prayer, 
grabbing hold of that instrument, I guess you could say, the instrument of prayer, the plow of prayer. That's something you learn by practice. Uh, and I feel I've, I've got a ways to go there, but I feel like over the past year that we're growing there a little bit. I think we have some areas to grow there. Uh, you see, without our hands on the plow of prayer, we won't know how to manage, we won't know how to run the instruments, we won't be able to do what he's called us to do successfully without our hands on the plow of prayer. Praise God for the plow of prayer. Let's grab hold. Amen, church? We can pray and ask God to do things that we can't do. That's authority. He gave his apostles authority. We see that in Acts. The authority they had at the beginning stages of getting God's gospel out, that ought to compel us to see our need to be in communion with him when it comes to prayer. Verse 34, Jesus left. He gave authority to his servants. So we see that. And then he gave each one his work. So now we're not going to be able to spend as much time on this one, but we're going to say something about it. He gave each one his work. All his servants are given us, we, you, we're given work, and we are gifted. I think this, I hope this encourages you. I know we've said this before, but don't we need to be encouraged by this probably often, is that is he has gifted each of you for the work, right? It says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. Then he goes on in verse 10. For you, church, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. So he gave us work, he gives us work, and then he promises to not just leave you hanging. He, he's not just going to say, here's the tool, I'm going to leave it. I hope you learn how to use it, Right? Right? No, he, 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 show, he, he empowers you, he shows us, he models for us, he gives us clear instructions on how to use it. Praise God. He equips us for the task that he calls us to. Uh, I was reading something by Andrew Murray. He says, we have been prepared for the works and the works prepared for us. That's good, isn't it? See, God's sovereign hand even in the preparation that he has there is a work generally speaking okay we can talk about it generally that all our hands ought to be on the plow and ministering for the lord right but then god we we are to understand i think from this passage that there that then god has prepared specific works for each one that's cool to think about and how we all pitch in together that he has gifted everyone in such a way that we form the local body of Christ in a way that we are to serve the body and accomplish the work that he has assigned to us. That's 1 Corinthians 12. Right? Andrew Murray goes on, he says, The feeblest member of the body is equally cared for by the head as the most honored. The Father has prepared for the humblest of his children their works as much as for those who are counted chief. Hear this. For every child, God has a life plan with work 
appointed according to the power and grace provided. Isn't that something? He believed that by faith. Right? I think that's something we got to walk in by faith. There's things that he's calling us to, that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And then we've got to get on our plans and begin going in that direction. Right? Get, on, get, get our hands on the plow and begin going in that direction. Right? And, and that takes faith. Next, Jesus says he commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. He commanded the doorkeeper to be alert there at the end of 34. I think all of us are doorkeepers now, especially. I, I think he's speaking to those in this period of tribulation. But there is this reminder here of this need to be alert for all of us, I believe. The Word of God is alive, active. So this applied to the disciples then. It applies to us now and this is a call to constant watch and vigilance. The doorkeepers on watch, it says there, verse 35. Therefore, verse 35, be alert since you don't know when the master of the house is coming. The doorkeeper is very vigilant. He is ready to answer the door at evening or midnight or the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. So these times would mean like, hey, be ready. It's saying here in the passage, be ready uh, at 9 p.m., right? Be ready at midnight, right? Be ready when the rooster crow. What time is the rooster crow? Well, 3 a.m. So be ready at 3 a.m. It says be ready in the morning. Well, what? I thought 3 a.m. was pretty early in the morning. What are you talking about? Well, not just be ready at 3 a.m., be ready at 6 a.m. That's what he's saying. No one knows the hour. We've got to be ready every hour. And if you aren't alert when he comes, he might find you sleeping. Verse 37 is telling us be alert because you don't want the master to find you sleeping Now, does this mean we can't sleep? Is that what he's saying? Don't go to bed. Uh, is that what he's saying to them in this time that they're not to sleep? Uh, no, we've been charged to manage, just like the parable is suggesting that we've been charged to manage the business and the affairs of the house. And he's telling us, hey, you can't be idle and get the job done. You can't be spiritually complacent and get the job done. You can't be living distracted lives, distracted away from my kingdom purposes and manage my kingdom's house. Because you can't get the job done. You're working for the, the wrong guy. Right? That's a, a distracted life is you're working, and you're just working for the wrong guy. The wrong God. I don't want to be caught working for the wrong God. That would help us, protect us from the trap, actually. It says, Luke 21, 34 through 36, the parallel passage, it says a little bit more there, so we should look to it. It says, be on guard so that your minds are not dulled from, the, from carousing, drunkenness, and worries. Some of you are like, I'm not carousing, I'm not drunk, but worries of life, Right? Be on guard so that your minds are not dulled from the worries of life, for that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand 
before and so that you'll have strength to stand before the Son of Man. What a trap worries are. You've felt it. You know when I'm saying that. I know you're there going, if you just wake up a minute here, you're going, yeah. It's, man, yeah, worries are a trap for me. What a trap to living for self and this world and not for him. It's a trap, right? It's easy to have our minds dulled from carousing. It's easy to have our minds dulled from too much wine, from drunkenness. It's easy to have our minds dulled from worries. And what he's saying is you've got to be sharp, church. And so we've just got to ask that question, Lord, and I'm wrapping up a year. You're maybe going to give me another year. I don't know, right? Because we don't know. We don't know, but Lord, I want, as long as you give me here, I want my mind to not be dull. I want it to be sharp. Romans 13, 11 through 13. Write that down. Here, I'll read it to you. It says, besides this, since you, this is interesting, since you know the time, let me say a word about that. Besides this, Romans 13, 11 through 13. It says, since you know the time, and I just want to say a word about that. You see, we are now, right now, in the countdown of the second advent, right? Just like they were, right, people before Christ were counting down to the first advent, right? It came, Christ was born, and now, it's saying here in this passage, we know the time. So how many of you have an advent calendar at home that you're using right now during this time of year? My mother-in-law gets our kids advent calendars with the chocolates in it every year. These nice, you know, I don't know how they seem like. They're probably expensive, you know, and they have these nice fancy chocolates. And, and they're, they don't do it right. All the chocolate was eaten in the first day, you know. It's like, what's going on? They don't even do it right. But, uh, so, but you, you know, we're looking at advent calendars. And... I just want to think of that in terms of the advent calendar that we're actually in right now for the second coming, right? Our, our advent calendar, you say, well, what I thought we don't know, so how can we have a calendar? Well, I guess the advent calendar, it doesn't say the actual date, but the, the calendar that, that essentially we're just looking at the advent calendar for the second coming and what we're saying is that, man, this could happen. At any moment. In the sense that too. As we're looking at that. That today we're closer today. Than we've ever been before. As it says in Romans 11. And through 13. It says there. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And what he's getting at. Is the full experience of our salvation. The coming and returning of Christ. It's nearer than when we first believed. It is already the hours. Now I'm finishing reading Romans 13, 11 through 13. It's already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Be sharp. Don't be dull, church. Wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, right? Think of the night. Think of what Jesus just referred to. Like, stay alert through the night. He's saying that your, that your need to stay awake through the night, and it's hard sometimes to stay awake through the night, right? And, and that's the picture being drawn. There's, there's tasks. There's, there's weighty things. And he says that need to be, Romans 11, that need to be awake through the night is nearly over. 
right? The day is near. <laughs> so let us not waste time, it says there in Romans. Let us discard the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not quarreling with each other and not being jealous. He has said, you've been preserved, church. Church, we've been set aside for work and we don't want to be caught sleeping at the wheel do we? We want to be found with our hands on the plow, not in our pockets. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the encouragement in your word that you would let us grab hold of the plow, <laughs> that you would charge us with the authority and even uh, give us the the talents and the the gifts and lord the the ability even though we may not think we have them we don't in and of ourselves but you by the power of your spirit will give us what we need to be able to keep our hands on the plow out of our pockets and accomplish the work that you call us to so we can be pressing on through the night we're in the night right now but the day is coming we are thankful that we get to be light during the night here in this time. In this time even. We pray that your church would be that light. Lord Jesus, will you help us to be found faithful as we proclaim your, your first advent, your first coming. And as we also talk with people about the fact that you are coming again. Will we watch, be alert and let people know so that your kingdom will expand from this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.